0: If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, for the last month, we have been in this running around the Christmas story. If I remind you, we started with the Maker, then the miracles and the message of Messiah. And today we'll end with the meaning of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, the meaning of Christmas. Now, some of you could argue with me and say, Brother Jerry, this might should have been the first message, and perhaps it should have, because what I want to ask you this morning in your heart, this is a rhetorical question, what does Christmas mean? I want you to think about, you know, we can say Christmas means a lot of things, but here's what I will tell you. If you investigate your activities of this past week, you'll really discover what Christmas means to you. Maybe I should have started with this because so many people have so many different opinions about what Christmas means. I mean, some people say Christmas is about family, and if it's really about family, then what about the person who's just lost a loved one or the person who has no family? Some people will say Christmas means shopping malls, Christmas trees and blinking lights. If that's the case, then what does that mean to a family who lives in a remote village in a remote country and they don't have any electricity, let alone shopping malls or or, or a Christmas tree? Some people say it means giving and receiving Christmas gifts. If that is the case... What does that mean to a mother of a single mother of four who works two jobs to keep food on the table and in the refrigerator and take care of her family and to pay mortgage and buy uh, pay for heat? Some people say Christmas means snow falling from the sky. <laughs> I hope we don't get that, but if that's true if if Christmas is about snow coming down and uh, And the glistening snow, what does that mean to a person who lives in the Arizona desert? You see, we have all these meanings of Christmas among our culture today. And I don't want you to get me wrong. Certainly, a part of our celebration can be and should be family and friends and gifts and and, uh, uh, trees and lights and food and things like this. They're fine, sometimes beneficial and help us. But I suggest to you that it's not the real meaning of Christmas. I read a story that was kind of an aha moment. There are a lot of stories surrounding the Taj Mahal. But the story that intrigued me is a story about the time that the, that the emperor, Shahayan, lost his wife. And it is, as the story goes, he was so grief-stricken at the loss of his wife that he decided to build a magnificent temple in which to place her remains. And so what he did, he had them to prepare her body, put it in a casket, and seal up the casket and put it in the center of the property where the temple would be built. As you can imagine this, and by the way, he decided there would be no expense spared. This would be the greatest structure ever built. And they put the casket there and the construction began and pretty soon his passion began to override his grief for the loss of his wife and he was so engrossed in the construction and that construction went on for months and months and months. And finally one day he was walking through the construction site And he bumped his leg on an old wooden box that was dusty. And he reached down and he slapped the dust off of his leg. And he said, get this box out of here. It's just in the way. And little did he realize that the very reason the temple was being built was in that box. And he had removed the remains of his dead wife. The temple was completed. But the honor was forgotten. I wonder if that's what's happened to Christmas today. I wonder if we have replaced the manger with man, replaced faith with family, replaced the trappings of Christmas, put the trappings of Christmas ahead of the truth of Christmas. And focus more on gifts than on God. Luke chapter 2, we have read it. I've recited it. It's the story of the angels coming to the shepherds on the hillside. One verse. From that today, I just want to share a simple message. What I believe the meaning of Christmas is. Verse 10. You can just remain seated. It reads like this. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Father, I pray that you'll implant in us the meaning that is your meaning, Of this time when we celebrate Jesus' birth. In your name. Amen. In that one verse I believe can give us three truths of Christmas. That Christmas really means. And I believe that today can almost be an epiphany for us. As we look back over the Christmas just past. And we look ahead at what might be Christmas 2013. The meaning of Christmas. Three simple thoughts. First of all. Christmas means, the angel said, good news. Christmas means good news. Now, you know, we all like, does anybody here don't like good news? We all like good news, but it's kind of odd. What is good news to some is bad news to other. I was reading about, I'm not going to get into the story too much, I was reading about a, a friend of ours was in a church, a lady that had her husband killed 20-odd years ago. And what was good news when she went to prison, what was good news to her husband's family was certainly bad news to her family. You see, what's good news to some people is bad news to others. Some people, good news constitutes things like an investment turning good or, or maybe a positive uh, answer to a marriage proposal or, or, or maybe it is a doctor walking in and saying, your tests are clear. I mean good news takes takes many forms but here 's what I want to say to you today but in the in the Bible, and particularly the New Testament. Good news is an ongoing theme. You find it in the Bible. We could walk through and spend the rest of the day here, but just for the sake of time, consider this. Luke 1, the angel, Gabriel, comes to Zechariah and he says to Zechariah, you're going to have a son. He talks about John the Baptist going to be born. He said, I'm bringing this good news to you. Luke chapter 2, the angel comes to the shepherds that we just read and said, I proclaim to you good news. Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist now a man. He says, I'm preaching the good Good news, Luke chapter four. Jesus Himself says, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, and I've come to preach good news to you." That's what Christmas is all about. It's good news. And you know, you know what the truth is. In the historical context, as we think about the Jewish people, when God started speaking as the as the gospels began, the truth is, those folks were listening longing and looking for some good news. They had lived under Roman rule, tyranny, and oppression, and they were looking for some good news. But do you know the first good news that I lift out of this? Listen, God was speaking once again. He had been silent for over 400 years. We call that the testament period. He was speaking once again in the matter of the Gospels we see in speaking to Zachariah, to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds. God was speaking again. May I say this to you? There is no better news than God speaking. Teenagers, you know what I'm praying for this month? I hope you'll be here every Sunday this month because starting next, actually starting Wednesday night in here and then through our Sundays, every Sunday this month we're going to be talking about spiritual awakening then you'll have your camp at Gatlinburg and then when you come back we'll have our spiritual awakening weekend adults how great is it how good is it when god begins to speak to you oh it's okay if that's your if that is your attitude i don't think god's ever spoken to you because it is good news when god begins to Speak. That's what I'm praying for right now. But you know what? The, as I read this in chapter 10, he says, I proclaim to you good news. I don't think that's the ultimate good news. Yes, it's great. God is speaking is always great. God is speaking. But you know what I think is the ultimate good news here? We can say that God is has fulfilled His promise to mankind in this baby. He's heard the prayers of the chosen people in, his, in the response to this baby. And now He has sent to mankind the answer for their sin. Do you know that's the good news today? Jesus came in answer to your sin, to my sin. You know what that good news is? The ultimate good news of Christmas is? The good news that all of them were talking about? You can find it. If you, if you want to, you can. If you don't, it's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to give it to you. It's Acts chapter 5. Here's what I'll tell you. Let me just give you a build-up to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 2 is where the Holy Spirit came down. 3,000 people got saved. Acts chapter 3 is where they healed. The guy at the gate, beautiful. If you remember, that guy did not turn into a good Baptist that was set on his backside, very quietly. He turned into a presbytery, I mean, a Pentecostal, and he went and danced in church, and he got the apostles in trouble. They got thrown in jail. They got let go. Chapter four, uh, they were told not to preach again. They went and had this earth-shaking prayer meeting. Acts chapter five, Ananias Sapphire tried to lie and pervert the king, the, uh, church. They got killed. And then the apostles were empowered. They went and did more wonderful and powerful and miraculous things. And they got in trouble again. they got flogged and told never to speak of Jesus again. And you know what they did? Watch this. Acts 5 verse 42. Every day in the temple complex and in various homes they continued, watch this, teaching and proclaiming the good news. Now what is the good news? Well, Luke tells us this time the good news That the Messiah is Jesus. That is the ultimate good news. That is the greatest good news that you could have. You know, the truth is, it is a great good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Redeemer, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Deliverer, that Jesus will save you from your sin so you don't die and go to a place called hell. Is that good news to anybody in this room? But let me ask you, let me just say this to you. You know how I said what is good news to some is bad news to the other? It's just my personal opinion. But the fact that Jesus is the Messiah appears in the twenty first century America to be the saddest truth. To the masses. Because in this great land, there seems to be little need for a Messiah. I mean, after all, what's Jesus going to save us from? Is He going to save us from our affluence? Is He going to save us from our prosperity? Is He going to save us from our status? I mean, even watching the last week, even with the Dow falling, even with our our country facing what they call a financial cliff, whatever that is, most people, even in this room, live in luxury compared to the rest of the world. For my two cents worth, Jesus' eye of the needle principle is in full blossom today. And for those who don't know that eye of the needle principle, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. May I just say this to you who don't think you're rich in this world's goods? Every person in this room, the poorest person in this room, would be in the top 10% of income producers in the world. You know what the truth is? The the person who is rich by the world's standards thinks he has it all together. Because he's got a full stomach, because he's got a hefty bank account, because making ends are no big deal. The truth is we don't think we need God. We just say, God, we... I heard Michael Katz say this. We're just doing God a favor by serving Him. Think we have if we have it all together, how come mankind is so messed up? In our luxury we're most miserable. We're looking for the newest gadget, the newest gizmo, the newest Wii game, the newest whatever. Yesterday I did a little research. I researched the Internet on the rich and famous and how they ended their lives. Teenagers, I wished from the bottom of my heart I spoke your language a little better because I'm afraid you're being fed a lot of the wrong stuff. Not from Brother David. I'm talking about from the culture you're in. I think you, like us, are being fed that if you get a good job, you make a lot of money, gain a lot of popularity, things are going to be okay. This is what I discovered about people who had arrived, people who had money. Some of these predate you, but some don't. Starting back in 1977, comedian Freddie Prince, many of us remember Freddie, shot himself. Musician, Elliot Smith, stabbed himself. All-pro football player, Junior Seau, shot himself. Actor, Brian Keith, shot himself. If you're going to be a lawyer, watch this. A White House lawyer named Vince Foster in Washington's White House less than a year ended his life. By shooting himself. Just because you've arrived at power and prestige does not mean that everything's okay. The Apostle Paul still had it right when he wrote to the Corinthians and he said, If it is only in this life that we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. You say, Brother Jerry, what does this have to do with joy? It has to do with where you find your joy. If you're trying to find your joy in this world, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to find yourself 60 years old and still wondering what life is about unless you latch on to Jesus. That's the great news. He's the Redeemer. He's the Deliverer. He's the Savior. He's the King. He's the good news of Christmas. The angel said, I proclaim to you, good news and that good news is Jesus. But then he goes on and we find the second meaning there. Christmas also means great joy. Great joy. The truth is joy is a big deal throughout God's word. Joy is a big deal throughout God's word. I wish that we had a lot of time and we don't all... You know, you think 35 minutes is an eternity, but it's really not to really develop the Word of God. You go back to the Old Testament, you know what you discover? You discover that when they came to worship Jesus, when they came to worship God in the Old Testament, it was joy-filled. It was... we can we can go all the way through it. You go to Chronicles and what you discover is when they came to worship, they worshiped with psalters and harps and cymbals. They didn't have any sound reinforcement systems, Brother Jerry. And they were heard for miles around because of the shouts of joy. You find in Ezra that it was seven, they had put together seven days of joy before the Lord. People heard them for miles around. You know, i tell you one of my favorite uh, scenes on any movie is the original sister act starring Whoopi Goldberg. I understand, I understand some of you will have a problem with this, but she brought some life to that Catholic church. They started playing music and when they started playing music and rejoicing, people came. You see, the truth is you can't argue with joy. You can argue with legal things, you can argue with rules, you can argue with regulations, but you can't argue with joy. Wasn't it Nehemiah who said, the joy of the Lord is my strength? So if you want to be strong, you have to find joy in the Lord. Even when we fall into sin, think about this, David found, fell into sin with Bathsheba. Nathan came and said, you're the man. He says, you're right. Do you remember what he, what he spoke in Psalm 51? Here's the context. Restore, uh, created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, and restore to me the joy of my salvation. Can I say this to you? When I see the worship in the Old Testament, the joy, it convicts me. We call what we do worship and our hands are in our pockets and we're fiddling. You know, we have joy. It is an ongoing thing, and it not only just joy. He said, great joy. It should exude. It should exude from our lives. Every time I prepare a message, and some of you go by always some catty remark, Preacher, I'll wear steel toes next week. You jumped all over me. Preacher, you've been reading my mail. I mean, you know what you say to me. But may I say this to you? Every time I prepare a message, I go to the woodshed long before you get there. And candidly, I got to thinking about this joy. And I know that over the past four or five years, I probably failed you at modeling. The joy of the Lord. Because I, like you, get caught up in failure and circumstance. And instead of wearing the garments of Jesus, I wear the garments of Jerry. And quite honestly, the garments of Jerry are pretty ugly. But here's what I'm going to say to everybody in this building it doesn't matter whether it's the failure of a pastor or a deacon, or a staff person, or a Sunday school teacher, or just someone who comes and sits every Sunday. It doesn't matter if we fail to show joy. The truth is, showing joy, our failure doesn't diminish the need. It doesn't diminish the divine mandate. And it doesn't diminish the importance of being joy-filled. If I wanted to point you to an example of someone who seemed to not be rocked by the circumstances of life. I point you to the Apostle Paul sitting in a Roman jail writing a letter to the church at Philippi that we know as Philippians and sitting there armed in that rat hole with the guards around him Five, six times in, the, in that letter, he spoke of his joy. Later, he would write to Philemon in, on behalf of Onesimus. And two times in 24 verses, he speaks of his personal joy. And not just personal joy, but personal great joy. Because joy is the experience of someone who walks with Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, let me give you a little snippet here. Joy is different from happiness. Hello? Joy, the Greek word used here, actually the Greek word seems to be akin to the, to the Greek word for grace, which means of God. But that Greek word for joy literally means calm, delight. It means internal gladness. In other words, that gladness starts from the inside out. The reason people commit suicide is because there's no happy, there's no joy on the inside. You see, joy is kind of like a light bulb. The way a light bulb works, Larry has to change these things. He's almost every Sunday morning when he's here. He's up changing some of these 1.3 million light bulbs. But when, but when he, when that light bulb works, the electricity goes up in and it starts inside. The electricity heats that element and it, and it begins to glow, flicker, and then it glows and then it lights up. It starts from the inside out. It's like a fire. That's what joy is all about. It starts from the inside out. This world thinks in terms of happiness, which is external. And the Bible speaks of joy, which is internal. Again, I went hunting and fishing yesterday. I hunted and I fished. For how many times the word happiness appears in God's Word? How many times the word happiness appears in God's Word? And here's what I discovered. In the major translations of the Bible, it does not appear. Now, if you get a minor translation or one of those paraphrases when you get to the Beatitudes, they'll say happy is the man. But happy is so much shallower than this word really means. You see, the truth is our external happiness comes from our internal joy. And when we try to put on happiness first, we will never become a joyful people. The angel said, I proclaim to you good news of not just joy but Mega joy, but great joy, but exceeding joy, and it only comes through Jesus. I don't you think about it this way? If you want to know what mega joy is, can you just play a game with me for a second? Why don't you think about it? What if you knew that at 1130 today you were scheduled to die? I mean, life was ending at eleven thirty today. What would you think? What would you be feeling? Did you get that emotion? Life as I know it is gone. I will never you fill in the blank. I will never go to work again. If your your kids or grandkids are gone from here, I will never see my kids and grandkids again. I will never go to a football game again. It's over. And now you're sitting here with about 40 minutes to live And God appears right here. And he looks at you and he says, Carrie, I know you're supposed to die at 1130. But let me tell you what I'm doing for you. I'm going to extend your life so you don't know when your life will end. If he did that to you, can you give me an emotion to describe it? Would it fill you with joy? Do you understand that's exactly what God did when he sent Jesus? Every person ever born was under a death sentence. And Jesus came to give you a life sentence. Is that something worth being joyful about? You see, the truth is, Jesus... The Messiah came to save people from hell. From hell. Now, people don't like a preacher to say that, particularly if you're a particular theological persuasion. But let me tell you something. If you get saved, it is from hell. It's saved to heaven. It is saved to a relationship with God. It is saved through the blood of Jesus. But you're saved from hell. Because without Jesus, you've got one place to go. But I want to just tell you, I was thinking the other day about hell. You ever just sat and thought about it? Perhaps I was reading the story about the rich man Lazarus. I was reading about all he was feeling and going through. I'm tormented in the flame. And yet he was still cognizant and there was no end in sight for him. And you know, you know what occurred to me? I began to think about loved ones and friends. who have now gone on into their eternity. Many of them, as far as I know, live for Christ and will be in paradise. But what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if something I did distracted them? What if they just didn't make it? I'm just going to tell you something. Maybe I'm getting old and senile. But I sat there and my eyes began to get moist as I thought about loved ones that would just destroy me. Friends, it would destroy me to know that they're now apart from Christ. You know what great joy would be? It'd be the assurance that all of those who've gone on have such a relationship with Christ that they're now in paradise. Great joy would be knowing that every person in this room walks with Christ in such a way that if you were to be gone at 1130, you'd be in heaven. You see... That is the great joy. A relationship with the one about whom the good news was spoken. Christmas means good news. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Christmas is great joy. Once we get saved from our sin, we have an eternity to look forward to. Abundant life on this side. Eternal life on the other side. But Christmas is about one other thing. This is as simple as it gets, folks. Christmas is about good news. Christmas is about great joy. And Christmas means all people. That's the message of the angel. He says, I proclaim to you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Now, let me just extrapolate that just a bit before we finish. good news and great joy are available for all people. But sadly, not all people will avail themselves to that which is available. Because you see, to come to Jesus means a life change. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The Bible says that whosoever What a powerful verse. What a powerful statement. How do people come to Christ? Through His Word, they hear His message. Through a messenger, His messenger, they hear His message. Through the people, they hear His message. And through His Spirit, God calls. And He calls you and me to respond to Him. And, and let me just tell you what God's call is like. Are you ready for this? You're a sinner. You're doomed, but you're loved. Hello? Brother Jerry, that don't make any sense. Well, sure it does. Sure it does. Don't matter how unpopular it is, here's the deal. You're a sinner. There is none righteous, for all have sinned, so says the Bible. You are doomed. The wages payment compensation of sin is death. You are loved. Even when you're facing death, God demonstrated His love for you in this way that He sent Jesus Christmas to die for you. And the Bible says you have to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. You want to know the meaning of Christmas? It's all about salvation. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, leaving heaven, sliding down the stairway of stars, entering this world through the womb of a little virgin girl, living a life for 30 years as a carpenter, having a ministry of approximately three, three and a half years, dying on a cross the death of a sinner, but he's never sinned, so he's dying for your sin and my sin, laying in the ground for three days, dead to himself, dead to sin, dead to self, rising on the third day to give us new life. Now there's a Christmas story worth telling. To close, I want you to think with me just for a second. If you've not listened to anything else, please... Please get me with me just for a few minutes. I want you to think about this past week at your house. You got all kind of gifts. What was your favorite gift? One of the guys down here got a phone. Somebody got a Wii. Somebody got a Wii game. Somebody got an Xbox. What would you get? I got a shirt. You know you know, you get shirts when you're too old for them to get you anything else. What was your favorite gift? Just think about it a second. What was your favorite gift? Think about why it was the favorite. Was it the favorite because of who gave it to you? Was it the favorite because it's what you really needed? Or was it your favorite because of what you really wanted? Now I want to ask you one other question here. How long is that gift going to last? If you're our granddaughter, it might not last a day. If you're a little better, it might last a year, 10 years. For some of us who are closer to the end than the beginning, it might last till we die. Today, our Lord God offers you... A gift that will be the best gift you ever receive. It's a gift that will keep on giving. And it is a gift that can never be taken away. Watch this. This is the best part. If you t- if receive his gift, let me just say what you get. You get life to the fullest on this earth. Oh, yeah, He tells you not to do some things. Do you know why He tells you not to do some things? Because He knows best. But because He knows that the things that we want to do are things that will ultimately hurt us and harm us. He'll give you life to the fullest right here. And then one day when you close your eyes and that ticker in your chest stops ticking and you step across the valley into eternity... You'll have a life that you cannot ever imagine. A life where eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. You see, the meaning of Christmas is life with meaning. Do you have that life? Do you know that life? If not, why not make that decision today? Because our Lord calls you. Let's pray together.